What is up everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. I'm super excited, but before we get into an awesome episode with Jana Waller, a couple quick updates. Number one, first and foremost, I appreciate all of your support this, this far with liking, sharing, and rating the show. If you haven't yet, please take a second to leave a review and a comment wherever you're listening to this on. It greatly helps with the show's exposure and gets me some solid feedback moving forward. Uh, if you haven't picked up your Vanguard swag, definitely take a look at the shop. I went through and changed up the sizing of the logo so it's a little... Uh, a little less obnoxious, a little bit more fashionable, or whatever the cool kids say nowadays. I love to see you all out there repping the show and the cause, tagging me on social media, doing whatever the cool thing it is that you do out in life. Uh, number three, in addition to hitting up the shop, uh, please take a second to drop by the website and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, it's in the works as we build out a blog specifically, so stay tuned if you would rather read some cool articles than listen to them. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to build that up as quick as possible and get some good content uh, floated out to you guys. Uh, number four. Big shout out to my homies at Mountain Primal. Uh, they'll be keeping me alive again on another scouting trip this upcoming weekend. Uh, definitely going to be slamming some meat down and hauling a few of their mule sticks up into the hills yet again. Uh, be sure to use code VANGUARD for 15% off your first order at mountainprimal.com. Lastly, some really cool news, something I'm super excited about. Uh, I'm going to be partnering with Eberly Stock going forward. I've been working with these guys for several years now, and I'm extremely proud to have them on board supporting the show. They make phenomenal backcountry gear, um, you know, day packs, EDC packs, laptop bags, technical gear, pretty much anything you need to get prepared for your next backcountry hunt. And with the season upcoming, uh, please take a second. Give them a call, order some stuff up, let them know that I sent you, you know, Austin from the Vanguard podcast, blow them up, annoy them, and uh, get ready for your next hunt. And uh, that's it for today. So let's let's just jump right in. This is such a fun episode. I'm really excited. I had a great time talking with Janice. She's got some really cool things to say. So without further ado, let's hit it. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, the show focuses on telling the stories of extremely passionate people. Uh, we take time to understand who they are, where they come from, and uh, what it's taken to get to where they're at. The hope is that through these stories, we can motivate you to pursue your own passion or potentially jump into something new, uh, whatever it is to take that next step, ultimately to go write a story of your own passions. Uh, with me today is someone whose story I'm extremely excited to hear. We were BSing a little bit leading into it, and I think that we're both kind of on the same wavelength, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. So uh, you've likely heard her name, seen her on TV, or potentially own uh, a couple products of hers, and that would be Ms. Jana Waller. So Jana, I'm super excited. How are you this evening? I'm so good. This is going to be a fun chat. I could tell, you know, I do a lot of podcasts and you and I were kind of chit-chatting about, you know, what makes a good podcast. And I just think it's when you go deep, you know, when you maybe ask questions other people haven't asked you before, or you, you know, dive deep into the psyche of like hunting, which is what I'm all about. And now this is going to be a fun chit chat. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm excited. So typically the way we'll start something off like this is really just kind of to introduce yourself. So if you don't mind just starting there, that way everybody knows who we're talking to. And then as you go, I'll probably interrupt and, and hopefully ask some of those deep dive questions. 
Absolutely. Well, my name is Jana Waller. I am from the beautiful state of Wisconsin. And if you listen to this long enough, you would have either guessed Wisconsin or Minnesota. <laughs> I live in Montana. I, I like those long drive. Yeah, or, or big instead of bag. Big. Oh, big. that's it. That yep. is the word. Everybody <laughs> loves to make fun of. You, not, you nailed it. Um, I live in the gorgeous state of Montana, but don't move here. You, people stay away. You don't want to move. It's actually Idaho. great. Yeah, exactly. Stay away. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I live in the Bitterroot Valley of Montana and um, I have a show called my current show is called Skullbound Chronicles. Um, my previous show before that was uh, Skullbound. And that was on the Sportsman's Channel for nine years. And then I moved to digital last year. And so all my new stuff is on Carbon TV. Uh, the reason I went digital is just because I think it's the wave of TV. Everybody wants their TV when they want it. They don't want all the commercials. They want to be able to watch it on their phone at work. Or maybe their spouse is watching something else on TV. So they're on their phone. Carbon <laughs> TV is free for everybody. It's a platform like YouTube, except... It doesn't discriminate against hunters and guns. They are owned by hunters and they love guns and hunting. So um, it's been a great landing spot for me the last couple of years. But anyway, Skullbone Chronicles is a show about my passion for hunting. It ties in my skull business a little bit, which is beating and painting European skulls and my, my work with the conservation groups. Conservation is such a strong passion of mine that I think it's really missed when it comes to hunting TV. Um, and it, you know, we hunters are the true animal lovers of this country. And so it's, it's really important to me to try to get that message out there. A lot of non hunters, you know, still don't understand. They think we're a bunch of grip and grin trophy hunters. Yeah. We got to figure out a new phrase for the, for trophy hunting, because it's just so misunderstood. But anyway, that's, that's my story. I hunt everything from, I'm looking at my wall right now. Elk, mule deer, whitetail, antelope, moose, sick deer, bears, you name it. Big game, but I also love to do a little bit of bird hunting. Um, I'm a huge fisherman uh, brought up in Wisconsin where every town has a great lake to fish in. And uh, no, I just have a passion for the outdoors. Really, it's uh, I've been a bow hunter for over 30 years, um, a long range rifle hunter, especially since I moved out west 11, 12 years ago. And uh, I love it all. I hunt with every weapon, bow, uh, long range rifle, muzzle loader. I, I saw you do your handgun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Started handgun hunting about three years ago. That is super fun and challenging. I just got back from a, a pistol bear hunt in Alaska and uh, I, I love it all. I'm, I'm all inclusive. I, I love every single style of hunting from spot and stock to baiting bears to you know, you name it. And uh, I'm really blessed to live in a part of the country that has so much hunting opportunity. Yeah, pretty much the entire state of Montana. It's we drove I've driven from from Boise all the way up to Kalispell. I went to Glacier and I mean, pretty much you could pull off anywhere and see game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it is. And especially since we've been able to, um, you know, we have a spring and a bear spring and a fall bear season. Mm -hmm. We're able to, um, most areas, a lot of areas of Montana are over the counter for mountain lion. Uh, wolves are now, you know, a great big season. So like now that we we've been able to manage our predators more in the last couple of decades and to understand the predator prey relationship, our elk numbers are coming back. I think, um, you know, big game hunting is super strong here in Montana. A lot of the tags are over the counter. Um, oh, 
You want to hear some exciting news? <laughs> I'm so excited that. I, so I am what I consider your average hunter. I mean, I if I hunt with an outfitter, um, typically if I have a great outfitter tag, I give it to one of my veterans. I do a lot mm -hmm. of hunts with veterans. I love taking um, amputee veterans who maybe think they can't do a regular elk hunt and take them out, help them get their bull and like show them that, yes, you can in fact do this. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I don't, I do a lot of do it yourself hunts. I'm, I'm sort of the blue collar hunter. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I, the funny thing I've always joked that I'm hashtag too cheap for sheep, <laughs> <laughs> but I drew a sheep tag this year. <laughs> I'm so excited. So everyone always asks me like, what's your favorite hunt? And I do have a couple that really go down in the books as amazing, amazing adventures, but this one coming up, I'm just all goosebumps about, I get to hunt sheep in the, my backyard of Montana. My unit is only an hour and a half away from my house. Oh, I get to scout cool. all August and hunt all fall for sheep. So I'm super excited about that's that. That's sweet. I saw a video a couple of weeks ago of like, a it was, it was a, a guy that got like three guys within like six feet of three sheep, like on the top of a cliff. And I was like, that's impressive. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Have, I, you ever, have you ever hunted sheep before? I haven't. A, no, no, I'm hashtag too cheap for sheep. I've yeah. only, <laughs> I've only, I've hunted in sheep country. Okay. Um, you know, the biggest sheep in the, in the, in the nation come out of Montana, you know, the Missouri river breaks. Mm -hmm. I've seen sheep. I've, I've, I've seen huge big rams when I've been fishing in Hell's Canyon in an Idaho. I've been around them, but I've never been able to hunt them. I've hunted Audad, which is sort of poor man's sheep, which is an amazing <laughs> hunt in and of itself. I hunted Audad in New Mexico, but uh, no, this is going to be my first wild sheep. And I'm so excited about it. I'm, I'm really excited to do it DIY style. You know, I've been uh, using the brand new uh, 3D mapping on Onyx and sort yep. of combing through I've my been unit. Addicted. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I've never hunted this unit before. I've hunted across the road in in a uh, different elk unit, but right. I've never hunted this particular unit that my sheep tag is in. So I've been climbing. It's perfect timing that that new 3D came out because I can go and like look at the hills that I want to hike up to and scout across from. And what does it look like in 3D? And it's it's uh, it's super cool. The technology today is just so awesome. And I'm my uh, my main cameraman Heath, my my only editor, and my one of my main cameraman Heath Helgert, who lives here in the Bitterroot with me. So he, it's going to be he and I, and uh, we're super excited. We're going to take a lot of time and do it right. That's awesome. I've been yeah. using the the Onyx with Google Maps recently, yep. and I went scouting last last weekend. Actually, I've put together like it was really funny. I was maybe a little overly ambitious because I put together it was like a six or eight mile route that I was like, yeah, this this looks good. I I get that there's some elevation change and everything. I didn't realize like how steep the elevation change was and yeah. the vegetation because the buck brush was like unreal. Uh -huh. And so I was, I made like three miles and I was like, <laughs> I might've bitten a little or bite, bitten off a little bit more than I can chew, but yeah, well, that's, that's what happened. And now that, that, uh, the new 3d mapping on X, I mean, again, you can look at the elevation, you can use their line tool to see like, okay, if I, if I climb up to this peak, how far what is does it that actually look peak? like? Yeah. What does it actually look like versus just looking at topo? And it's really fun. I was on there all this morning and I'm excited. I'm really excited about That's that. That's cool. Well, I'm excited to hear about it because yeah. sheep sounds like sheep does sound like fun, but yeah. so you grew up hunting, right? I mean, I did. do your dad, I, I listened to a couple other podcasts and I don't like, kind of like we talked, I don't want to make it super generic, yeah. but you grew up hunting. Your dad got you into it. Yeah. And 
I guess, was that like the big thing that just launched you into the hunting world or did you drop off at some point, get back into it? Um, it's not what launched me as a career, Mm -hmm. um, into the hunting industry. Um, I, so my dad, I was a second daughter of two daughters and I think he really wanted a boy, which I've used, heard on other podcasts, always joke, like, so he turned me into one (laughs) and, um, he just, he just really saw in me a love of nature. And so he would let me take along with him when he'd go pheasant hunting or he'd go sit in the duck blinds near the Horicon Marsh in Wisconsin. And. I didn't, I, so I bird hunted with him a lot. We did a lot of trips when I was in junior high over to South Dakota pheasant hunting, um, that kind of thing. We raised some of our own pheasants. And then, um, he got into bow hunting whitetail when I was in high school. And when in high school, I was active with sports. I played soccer. I was on palms. Um, my boyfriend hunted a little bit. And so I would go sit the trees with him, but I didn't actually pick up a bow in my own hands till I was a freshman in college at university whitewater. And I met another gal who was a bow hunter. Now mind you, this is 1989. So <laughs> we got to go way back. <laughs> and there just, there weren't that many women, you know, that I could watch or aspire to be like, there was of course, Brenda Valentine, who was like, you know, I idolize her. She's just amazing. The first lady of hunting, she was just a pioneer. And then, you know, as I started to get into bow hunting a bit, there was uh, Lee and Tiffany, you know, Tiffany being such a big tail, white tail hunter. Um, she was really fun to watch. And, um, but I, I needed, I love it when someone messages me and say, says, oh, I saw you do this. And so I decided I could. And that's the way that a lot of women and young girls get into hunting is they watch somebody else do it and they, oh, if she can do it, I can do it kind of thing. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was 18, 19 years old. I looked at this gal, it was a friend of my roommates and I'm like, you bow hunt? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I can't pull my dad's bow back and she's like, <laughs> try to get a bow that fits you, you know, that. And so I went down to this bow shop in near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they fit me up, suited me up. Um, you know, got me set up with some great arrows and broadheads. And that year I got a doe and was so excited. And, um, it's just been a huge passion ever since. And like I talked to you earlier, it sort of branched into other things. Like, so I did that for, for, for 15, 20 years, I really didn't get into long range rifle hunting or even muzzleloader hunting until I moved out West, um, in Wisconsin, when we would go deer hunting, you know, the farthest shot at my dad's cabin is like 150 yards, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, that's as far as you can see into the woods. Sure. But um, no, it's just, to me, it's been so fun these past three decades. How, and then it's funny, a lot of people don't even know, like I, I wasn't involved in the hunting industry at all, really until I moved out West. I was, I was in outside sales forever. Um, I sold radio advertising. I worked for Edward Jones Investments for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't until I met my ex um, where he was filming a different show and he said, why don't we do our own? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like that would be super fun. (laughs) And so that's what we did. We literally hunted and filmed for a year, you know, we hunt and it was Montana. So we could buy over the counter black bear. You know, we, um, we did a deer hunt, a turkey hunt. We went to Africa, which bow hunted Africa and got a bunch of great episodes there. That's cool. yeah. And we put together a reel and we pitched it to the sportsman's channel and they were like, absolutely game on. And so that was my start into the industry. If you, I also did some writing, some, um, just writing for hunting magazines before I got into TV world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really just to connect and tell my story and try to share the passion with other hunters, especially women yeah. that, yeah, this is, I mean, it's amazing. It was, it was 
you know, hunting to me turned into a career, but it was a passion that I just, you know, looked so forward to every spare dime I had went into hunting every, all my free time went into hunting whitetails in Wisconsin and, yeah. and turkey hunting in the, in the spring. And, and then of course it blew up when I moved out to Montana. That's correct. So there's, there's a lot to, to think about there, which is super cool. So when you first like met your, your roommate's friend, you know, with the bow, was that a leap for you to go purchase your own bow or, or you, you had your dad's and you're like, Hey, screw it. Throw caution to the wind. I, I know that I need to be outside and I want a bow. It was a little of both. It was a big leap just because I'd, I'd only ever, um, I hadn't hunted big game before. It was only mm-hmm. shotgun. Okay. But it's funny that totally I'm, different. Yeah. I, I picked up a bow way long before I ever picked up a rifle mm-hmm. and, uh, even in Wisconsin before moving out West, but it was great. It was so nice to be able to, I can't think of that bow shop. I'd love to give them a, a hoorah because they were so great. It was right outside Milwaukee. Um, anyway, they, you know, they, they did it right. They, I, it's intimidating. It can be really intimidating for a woman to be like, where do I even start? And, and they, you know, tuned up. Oh, my first bow was a Darton junior. <laughs> and it was a kid's bow and it was probably, I was literally probably pulling 38 pounds, like who knows. Um, but it was strong enough to, you know, get into the target. Good. Um, like I said, they set me up with the perfect weighted arrows and broadheads yeah. and I got my first doe, which I was super excited about. And like, and that just, I'm telling you that doe, that's what sparked it is really? just, Yeah. The connection you feel while you're in the woods, of course, everybody knows now how important mother nature is, especially Mm -hmm. after COVID. And it was the only thing anybody could do was to get outside. (laughs) But I think like hunters who've been doing it for a while, understand that it's that it's the connection to nature. It's the, it's the feeling of like getting rid of all technology and just being on the land and how easy we have it today to, you know, foods at the grocery store packaged up all for us, you know, water is coming out of our, how hard life used to be even a hundred years ago of a lot of families had, uh, in fact, I was talking to my, my boyfriend, John about this, how his dad grew up in a little like one room log cabin with, I think five or six siblings. They actually had to go down to the Creek and fetch their water every day. It wasn't that long ago, you know, and there's that connection and it just makes you feel connected to the planet. And I think when we can have a sense of gratitude for our lives and how easy they are today, it just makes you that sense of gratitude spreads through everything, makes you just have a happier life. And I think it all stems back to nature, connecting with connecting with nature, connecting with the fact that whether you're here or not, you know, those streams still keep flowing, the wind still keeps blowing, and you have got to make the most of your life, this short little life that we have here. And I think hunting really makes me feel so much more connected to who I am as a person, and my fellow hunters and, you know, nature and the planet and and the cycle of life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a it, it's an interesting way that you put that because kind of as we started talking about it a little bit more, you'd mentioned, you know, trophy hunting being one of those things that kind of has a negative connotation. But the way that you describe that feeling, right, I think probably encapsulates the idea of hunting as a whole, right, including this air quotes trophy hunting, because it's like you're pursuing an animal that is literally like roughing it. I mean, I, I think kind of thinking about me hiking this past weekend and what you're talking about the terrain that they live in, the nature that they live in, they are tough creatures. And I've like come to respect them so much that it's just, it's a remarkable feeling to get out and kind of be in their element 
and how difficult it is to actually harvest. I mean, I've not yet harvested, you know, last year was my first year getting out and it's like, I get it now. Like I have such yeah. a huge respect for when the sun goes down, how cold it actually gets, you know, and yeah. how dark it really is, you know, but um, well, there's okay. so many facets to hunting that people who don't hunt or have never been exposed to it. They don't understand. It's, it's pushing yourself personally. You know, there's a lot of mornings where I don't feel like getting up at 4am, you know, it's just <laughs> ugh, dragging your butt out of bed, but you know, you got to be up in the mountain before, you know, the sun comes up. It's, it's, it's challenging sitting in, you know, sub-zero temperatures and, you know, battling the stinging wind on your face when you're looking for elk in December or November or whatever, you know, it's, it's challenging in the elements you put yourself through in the, the quads and the back, how sore your muscles get, whether you're hiking up the mountain or whether you're, you know, I, it's been challenging on some hunts sitting in a tree stand perfectly still in the freezing cold. <laughs> and you're like, how long do I sit here? This is miserable. Like it's pushing yourself. And there's so many components to it. There's the component of gathering your own food and what an incredible feeling that is. If there's one good thing that's come, two good things I'd say that have come of this past crazy 2020 of the COVID years, it's I think that people for the first time in, in my adult life have, have had a shortage of food in the grocery stores and what that would be like. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, like I've, I saw on social media, a lot of people took, cause I still have a lot of friends who are not in the hunting world. And I saw them talking about how crazy it was. There's no meat in the fridge. There's no dairy products. There's no nothing. Hunters. We typically have a freezer full of food. Um, Almost at all and, times. Yeah. And if it ever happened again like that, like I think people are going to turn to their hunter friends to for help. You know, it's gathering your and it's fresh and organic. It's not pumped with hormones. It's you know, we know where exactly our foods come from, the process from start to finish, which a lot of people who don't hunt. You know, I think a lot of people love to criticize a lot of celebs and they're all like, oh, PETA, you know, mm -hmm. lo I love PETA, this and that. And people I love animals, too. Um, but. I also understand that we hunters are protecting animals more than PETA or any other group in this country. And so I think COVID really made people appreciate nature because it was the only thing people could do is get outside and into their backyards with their family or go camping or get on the water. Though they're appreciating nature more, but they're also thinking about where their food comes from. And it's nothing new to hunters, but it certainly is a new concept to a lot of people. Yeah, that is very true. So you mentioned, um, how do I want to ask this? So you mentioned, you know, that there were days that when you would go, go out for a hunt, you didn't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning, didn't want to hike up, didn't, couldn't sit still, didn't want to sit still. What are, for somebody that's maybe trying to get into it or struggling with something like that, you know, me being myself, maybe I don't, I can't sit still for very long. You can ask my wife, I'm, I'm a fidgety human <laughs> being. What are some tips and tricks and things that you've been like, this has helped me like motivate me. This is what I draw on it. 3.30 when my alarm goes off and I got to get up and make breakfast or what are, what are some things that, that really get you up and get moving in the morning? I think just knowing that, you know, nothing's going to happen while you're laying in bed or laying on the couch. You know, I mean, oftentimes we can uh, default to the, to the lazy side of things, but you know, I've never been sitting on a mountaintop or sitting in a tree stand when the sun's sun comes up and wish I wasn't there. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like working out, right? I've never finished a workout where I'm like, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that ever. <laughs> Not one time ever. I am always glad I did something. It's the same concept. I think it's like, you know, I, I, 
sometimes I push it in the fall and I'm filming hunts back to back to back and I'm really exhausted. And I'm like, I just need to slow down this, that at the same time, like, you know, you got to get out there when you can. And it's like, I, like I said, I've never gone on a hunt that I wish I wouldn't have gone on. You know, it's just pushing yourself a little bit more than maybe what you're used to, but realizing like the benefit of it is, is that you are there when the sun comes up and the birds are chirping, you know, you are there when, when that, that sun peaks over the mountain and it's warming your face and you're getting up at what feels like you're getting up with the rest of nature as nature's kind of going to bed, you're getting up and like, I don't know. It's, it, it can be hard to describe to people who've never sat in the woods all alone, all camoed up and had the woods come alive around them, or they've never climbed up into the mountains and sat there, you know, waiting for the day to start. But I've never regretted one day of it. And um, there's just so many benefits that come with pushing yourself in anything, in any passion that you love, really. Yeah, I like that. That's a good that's a good way to think about it. You'd never or you'll never wish you weren't there. Mm -hmm. And you're waking up with the rest of the world. Yeah. I think that's cool. Okay. So then as you got into bow hunting and everything out of college and did you start writing? I did. Um, Yeah, probably. So there was a time maybe after college, like what is I, what am I 22 then up to mid twenties, there was a time where that I was still, I was bow hunting a bit, but I started writing for I started writing for a website that I don't even think exists anymore. It was womenhunters.com. And it was actually huge in Europe, which is really funny um, to me. Um, you remember, like, I'm old. I, I've been around since way before cell phones, way before the internet, <laughs> way before the gram. Like, you know, I, I've been around a lot, a lot longer than it's funny when people say do it for the gram. Like, mm-hmm. well, I can at least say that that's not why I do anything because I was long, I've been around long. <laughs> um, but for my but, uh, yeah, but I started writing for that, that website just to connect with other women. And it was really eye-opening to me to see how many women are out there are just like me sort of diving into this big game hunting arena and sharing stories with one another, learning tips and tricks. And because there are a lot of tips and tricks, not just the obvious of like your weaponry, let's say Mm -hmm. archery hunting or long range rifle shooting or reading the wind and elevation and all that kind of thing. But just like tips and tricks of like what to wear, what are, how do you stay warm? How do you keep your feet dry? How do you, you know, how do you motivate yourself? Like you just said, there's a lot of tips and tricks that are, that are, that I got from being connected with that womenhunters.com group. And then other sites came along that I've written a little bit for like um, the one women's outdoor news is probably the biggest women's, uh, website right now. Um, and I started, I remember my first article that I got published was in bow hunter magazine. That was probably, oh, I don't even know. Um, uh, maybe 1999 ish, maybe Oh one. I'm not sure. I'm really bad at numbers. Um, but anyway, I, I shot a really beautiful whitetail, um, on my place at my dad's cabin. And when I talk about my dad's cabin in Wisconsin, it's not like nowadays, there are no food plots. There's no, we, we've one year I put a trail camera up on a water hole, but other than that, there's basically no trail cameras. It's just going out into the woods and, and doing your own scouting of looking for trails, looking for scrapes and rubs during the rut, you know, looking for food sources and water sources and how to intersect them, looking for areas that are good on a a north or northern wind or western wind stand, or that's good when it's coming out of the south, or you know, it's all just sort of 
investigative work onto where you were going to put your tree stands. And, um, I shot a really nice book, wrote a story about it, um, about my, a, tr- a climber tree stand. Some people don't know this. I grew up in Wisconsin hunting out of the trees, but deathly afraid of heights. And, <laughs> and it was so funny because I, I, I would always have to ask my dad to help me move my ladder tree stands because it takes two people. Yeah. And, you know, half the time he wasn't even up at the cabin with me and I would want to sit like just 50 more yards that way, you know, and, <laughs> and it would be so hard. And so I, I finally bit the bullet and got a climber tree stand. I guarantee you the first couple sits in it, I was probably a total of seven feet off the ground, you know, <laughs> I was too afraid of like, what if the bottom slips from me and I get stuck up there, which almost happened once. Um, but I shot, I, I bought my own climber tree stand. I hunted out of it. This was probably. Oh, one, I think. And uh, anyway, I shot a really nice buck out of it during the rut two in the afternoon um, a beautiful buck. Uh, I had watched this buck a couple of different times and I knew he was coming into this bedding area and checking Joe's beds. And I like need, like I said, needed to be just 50, 60 yards more, more into the bedding area. And anyway, I moved my, I got, I got my climber, moved it in there, had to battle a weird snowstorm, went out after I got this great buck, wrote an article called independence day. And then what it means is just being independent, you know, with my own little climber tree stand. And that was kind of the start of me writing for hunting magazines. And I don't do it as much as I probably should. I write now a lot for blogs like the Cryptech blog and the Carbon TV blog. I write Mm -hmm. a lot for that. Um, Actually, I am in um, Bear Hunting Magazine, the July, August issue. I've got an article in there about um, which bear hunt did I write about? Um, Oh, I did my first. So I've shot... I think it was my 14th or 15th bear this year. I think I just shot my 15th bear in Alaska. So I, I love bear hunting. We've been into bear hunting huge since I moved out West Yeah. and I've hunted, you know, a lot uh, sometimes like this fall, this spring, I had four bear tags. Holy cow. <laughs> so, yeah. Montana, Idaho, Utah, and Alaska. So <laughs> I do a lot and I run my own. Trip. Yeah. I run my own baits in Idaho. I spot and stalk in Montana. I got to hunt hounds for the very first time in Utah with a great houndsman named PJ Pace. And so I just wrote an article for Bear Hunting Magazine um, in that. But yeah, the the writing thing is just a little side gig, but it's a lot of fun. It's really fun to connect with. I love hearing from people who read an article and and, uh, maybe got a little inspired by it. So yeah, that's awesome. So you have... It's, it's funny because I feel like you have all of these crazy skills that you're able to go kind of employ while you're out. How did you learn a lot of these things? I mean, particularly, I know that we've kind of talked about getting, you know, either female hunters into it or new hunters into it. I mean, it's very daunting, right? The barrier to entry, kind of like what we were talking, I think, before we started recording for me was was how to what to do with an animal after I get it, because I'm comfortable behind a rifle you know, I've got two good legs I can go walk with. I'm fortunate, you know, but for me, it was like, Hey, once I get an animal down what I do with it, how, how did you learn all of these things? And was there anybody that told you don't even bother? No, never. I have never had it. It's funny. I've never had anything but support, um, from my family, from my friends. Um, I mean, you have the occasional yahoos on social media that love to think they, well, that's not occasional. It's very frequent actually, but <laughs> it's less and less. if you just learn to block and ban them, it's less and less and less. That's but, um, I, yeah, starting out when I did, I had nothing but support. Uh, like I said, walking into a bow shop was a little daunting. Um, the guys were awesome. And that was 1989 and they were fantastic. Um, I gotta think of that bow shop to give them a plug. <laughs> they're still around. I think they're in Waukesha. 
Wisconsin. But anyway, uh, the buck rub or the bull rub, I don't know. Um, my memory, hey, I'm old. My memory is fading. <laughs> so, um, but it is a bit daunting. But I just nowadays I feel like with social media, especially, and with women being the largest rising demographic in hunting. I think it's so much easier now than it ever has been before. If you are a woman out there listening, or maybe a guy who wants to get their women or kids out into hunting, you know, there's a lot of incredible resources right now. Um, you know, bow shops, individual private bow shops are so great. That's what they want. That's what they cater to. They want to start out new bow hunters. Yeah. They want to pass on the patch, passion of archery hunting. Um, so go to your local bow shop and tell them, Hey, I know nothing set me up. And they will, they really will. They'll work with you. If you even have 20 yards in your backyard with a little foam target, you can practice and you can, you can do it. Um, long range rifle hunting is a little bit more, uh, probably challenging in a lot of States. I'm lucky here to live in the West where it's very common to have, shooting ranges that are out to 500 plus yards, even a thousand, even a mile. Um, I was really lucky here in Montana. I got to train with a bunch of the guys from Nemo when they were in yeah. Kalispell. And so I would go up and train with the Nemo guys. And we would, on day one, I was shooting clay pigeons at a thousand yards. Like it was <laughs> awesome. No big deal. Are, yeah. I trained with uh, Chance Gianelli, who was a former I think in 2010, he was a uh, sniper champion of the world. So like, these are guys who really know their stuff. And I was lucky enough to train with some of them, Jack Neville, guys who teach you how to, you know, it's funny. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of keyboard warriors out there, right? A lot of guys in their mom's basement eating Cheetos, just commenting left <laughs> and right on all the hunting pages. And uh, I usually say Pop-Tarts, but Cheetos sounds funnier. Um you know, just like, oh, that's not hunting. Da, 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 da. And it's funny because I I love it all. I do archery hunting, long range, muzzle loader, pistol hunting. There's just as much skill when you truly care about that animal that's out there at maybe let's just say five to seven hundred yards. There's yeah. just as much skill in long range rifle hunting and computing. Um, you know, what is your elevation? What is your wind doing? What's it doing where you are? What's it doing where the animal is? Um, you know, uh, temp, what's the temperature? Like what, what, what are the ballistics? What are you shooting? What's it going to do in this environment? There's just as much training that goes into that as there is sitting in a tree stand, shooting a deer at 30 yards, you yeah. know, um, uh, it's but different it really, skill set, different math, different. Yep. yep. Yeah. It did lots of training. And, um, I think it's intimidating by people, but really I think the best approach is to find whether it's a shooting range, a bow shop, someone around you who, you know, is into archery hunting or, or, or even through the conservation groups, a lot of the conservation groups have incredible programs that have a day out in the woods where it's sort of an intro day to kids and people who've never hunted before, you know, that I'm really active with the Mule Deer Foundation. They've got great kids programs, the Turkey Federation. Oh, they have, they have a lot of really great online resources on the yeah, uh, National okay. Turkey Federation's website. Great resources online on their, on their site. I took a young gal this year, Claire, cutest little thing, out turkey hunting here in the Bitterroot for the first time. We actually went through everything together. I went to her house. We sat down. We went on the laptop. We looked at the NWTF. We looked at different species of turkeys. We talked about the different kind of calling that you can do. Why, you know, why toms act like they do and they're full strut. And it was really <laughs> fun. We went out and on day two, she shot a great Jake at 40 yards with her shotgun. Like 
It was super great. That episode will be out in just a couple of months on uh, Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon. But really, there's a lot of websites out there to help people who are just starting out. Look at the conservation groups. Yeah. So you you do a lot of work with the conservation groups now. I do. What, I guess, how, how did you identify the groups that you want to work with and mm-hmm. what led you down those paths? Um. My artwork is what led me down that path. Well, but way before I even moved out to Montana, I was just kind of for fun, beating and painting skulls, mm-hmm. deer skulls, bear skulls, longhorn steer skulls, you name it, just kind of for fun for an artistic outlet. And it kind of caught on. And I started my site paintingskulls.com, which don't even go there and look at it. I haven't even looked at it. Like, <laughs> it's probably way outdated, but um you know, it's just really fun and artsy way. And I, I'd, I'd had tons of skulls over the years from hunting. And when I go out shed hunting, you find a lot of deadheads. And, but anyway, um, even before I moved out West, my dad was really involved. He in pheasants forever, ducks unlimited, whitetails unlimited. And I would donate, I would do a skull up for the banquets and auction it off. And it always felt really great to have people like, appreciate my artwork, but also know that the money being raised was going right back into protecting what I love. And that's hunting and our heritage and habitat. And so when we started trying to figure out, okay, with my ex of like, let's start a show, what do you want the show to be about? I'm like, well, I want it to be about, you know, that we're animal lovers, that we hunted so missed that it's not about, you know, you know, how big your animal is, but trust me, I I get it. It's really fun when you get a big mature animal that's smart and wise and been on the planet a long time. Like, but there's so much more to that than what I think the typical hunting shows used to be like, you know, there's, we're animal lovers. We care about the environment. We care about the species and make sure future generations, you know, can appreciate them and hunt them and living off the land. And so, and then I'm like, let's tie in my skull business, not because I want more business. Cause trust me, like I have so many skull <laughs> projects I have to get to that. I just like, Ugh. but to show people, like, it's really easy to give back and to tie in this conservation message. And so when we started Skullbound, um, I approached the groups that I was really familiar with, um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, Turkey Federation, Mule Deer Foundation. And so we partnered up together and I would do conservation minutes on my show, just trying to get that message out there, like I just said. And that's how the, the relationship started with the groups. They have sort of whittled down into just a few incredible relationships. Um, my strongest being with the Mule Deer Foundation. I also have a good strong relationship with Sportsmen's for Fish and Wildlife and the Turkey Federation, a little bit with Sportsmen's Alliance because I love what they do. They actually are the ones in the courtrooms battling out the ridiculous court oh, cases that are yeah. put out there all the time to you know, stop our, our hunting and stop dogs involved in hunting and all this ridiculous stuff going on. Um, but yeah, it's been a true passion of mine, even well before we started Skullbound, but it's been really fun to sort of uh, preach that message through the show as well. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so now at this point, then, uh, is that really when, I guess, you'd been doing Skullbound for a little while now, mm-hmm. and Skullbound at this point really just is focusing a lot on the conservation efforts. Is it teaching folks how to hunt? I mean, if you were to explain what Skullbound's goal is now, other than your animal lovers. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it's a how-to show mm-hmm. at all. I would just say it's, it's I'm, my, my goal is to show how much fun I have when I'm out there. Like to me, 
I think that the culture that we live in today is so focused on the wrong thing. It's so focused on like, what new truck are you driving this year? How big is your house? How big, you know, you know, you know, just, it just is so all this falsehood, right? Like, and I learned a lot of that falsehood through when my, my life at Edward Jones, I worked at Edward Jones and saw, it's funny, the people that you think that I lived in a town called Fort Atkinson. It's a town of like 15,000 people. Those who like look like they had money. I realized real quickly, like those aren't the ones who really have money. It's the ones who like are smart behind the scenes who are humble. And, and, and I just feel like we all real, I think we all, I don't think this is a surprise, but I just feel like we live in such a false world today, sure. We live, especially with social media and the way it is. Every, social media is everybody's highlight reel. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually agree with that. Like the weirdest thing is when I have a Facebook friend talk about all the woes, like that's weird to me. Like they're putting all their medical stuff on Facebook and they're putting all their, you know, drama on Facebook. I, but I do think that the world in general is focused on the wrong thing. And so what I feel like Skullbound Chronicles, which is the same thing as Skullbound Chronicles just means that it's now on Carbon TV. Oh, gotcha. it's, it's really just a show to um, feature awesome hunting adventures that if I can do it, you can do it. Because um, I've always felt that way. I'm, I'm nothing special. I don't feel like I have any God-given gifts. I feel like I just have a total passion for the outdoors and have been really blessed to go on some incredible adventures. I'm blessed to live where I live and I'm blessed to have so much public land access um, that I can, anybody can, can get into. And um, that it's that's really what the show is about. It's just about my passion for hunting. Um, and I tie in a little bit of my, my conservation work. I tie in a little bit of my veteran cause I'm veterans to me are very near and dear to my heart. I take a lot of, like I said before, I take a lot of, um, combat veterans out back into nature, you know, nature is so healing, whether they have physical or mental, um, you know, stuff they're dealing with. Just whether, I mean, I did one a show one time with uh, Mike Krampitz, this great guy who um, his story, he doesn't have any physical injuries, but he just had a hard time like getting back into normal life after mm-hmm. seeing what he saw, the atrocities that he saw overseas. And, you know, he's a typical story about post-traumatic stress and, and you know, TBI, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury, where it can be really hard for combat vets to acclimate back into normal society. And then when you add on to this culture, culture that we're in right now, this anti-American culture, this anti-flag, anti-anthem, it makes me absolutely sick to my stomach and, and embarrassed for the people who feel that way because they, it's so disrespectful to our men and women of the military. I just, I just cannot even fathom it. And, um, I, it's scary to me, this whole woke, you know, woke culture that we live in. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would shut down hunting with a snap of their fingers if they could do it, not understanding what it really is that we're doing out there where all of our dollars, whether it's from buying hunting licenses, uh, buying tags, whether it's from the incise tax, the Pittman Robertson Act of 1938 or 37, which taxes our dollars on firearms, now archery equipment, ammunition, and that tax goes to every single state to manage their wildlife. Um, it's the greatest conservation model in the in the world. And that 
that message is so missed. And whether it's on my social media or through my show a little bit, trying to teach people that. And that, uh, you know, wildlife, we have more wildlife because of hunters. And um, that's what basically I'm trying to get across in the show. Yeah. So I'm thinking of a question and, and I don't know how strongly phrased it's going to be. So when you, when you moved out of Edward Jones into purely working in the outdoor industry and film industry, how, how were you able to take that step? Because that's, that's, I feel like those are vastly different between the two. And Mm -hmm. I mean, almost, I don't know if it was risky. Was it, what was the leading cause for that? Did you feel like you were taking a chance and moving into it? Well, I didn't, I honestly didn't know it would explode the way that it did. Um, I, I went through a divorce, my, um, and then I moved out West because of my ex that I met. And when he said, let's do a show. Yeah, it was risky, but I really didn't have anything else to lose. And I've always been kind of a risk taker like that. I've, I feel like, um, I've always been very passionate. I've always been, yeah, let's try it. Yeah, let's go. Very spontaneous. I, I, in fact, I'm probably, you can ask my boyfriend, John, I'm a little obnoxious when it comes to like trying to, yeah, let's, let's go fishing. Let's do this. Let's do that. He's like, whoa, whoa, girl, slow down. Um, I, it was probably a little risky, but in all honesty, when we started Skullbound, I thought, yeah, most TV shows have a shelf life of about three to four years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'd had some money in savings. Why not? Let's do it. I felt like um, uh, he knew the business model of it because okay. he had done a hunting show on the Outdoor Channel before. Um, I felt like we could make it work. And if it didn't, that's okay. I had a degree. I have a public relations and marketing degree, which nice. actually the funniest part of it really helped me in landing sponsors. A lot of people don't understand how the TV industry works. You don't just get paid this nice big check by being on TV. Um in fact, if you're getting into the hunting industry to make money, I would highly recommend a different industry. <laughs> um, but it can be, it can, it can turn out nice. It can be lucrative if you, um, I feel if you're authentic, if mm-hmm. you work really hard, if you understand the relationships with your partners. I am so lucky though, too, in that I just happen to be teamed up with some incredible partners over the years. Nasler has been with me from the very beginning. They are just the most incredible partner of mine. Um, after year two, I got hooked up with Crib Tech. Mm-hmm. And even though they're primarily a men's camel line, they do have a women's line. That's awesome. I was with them long before the women's line came about and wore all the guys gear and it fit me better than anything else I'd ever worn. And it's, you know, high performance technical gear. They've been incredible. Vortex has been with me from the very get go. Vortex believed in Skullbone. So like, I just, I feel like I entered timing is everything in life really. And I entered into the hunting industry at the perfect time. They were looking, I feel like the, the TV industry part of it or the TV side of it was looking for some solid older female role models. Um, I, people have said to me over the years, Oh, what's it feel like being an older woman? Because I'm, I'm proud to say I'm 50 this year and I'm not embarrassed about that by that at all. I love that I'm um, older and I feel like I've got three decades under my belt. Yeah. Um, more than that, if you include my youth, you know, Oh, what's it like being an old lady in the industry? Well, honestly, it's opened up so many doors for me. I feel like there's almost an instant credibility attached because I am older and have been doing it a long time versus sure. a lot of maybe the Graham girls who, you know, maybe these beautiful young girls who see that every time they post a bikini 
uh, and they're in a camel bikini, whoa, the lights go up and doesn't really mean they're exactly knowledgeable. You know, there are some for sure out there, but I, I think being older has been an absolute door opener for me. And uh, it's been inc an incredible ride. I keep saying one more year, one more year, I'm going to slow down, but like, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess bikini things aside and, and kind of building the credibility portion of it, right? You, you said that you've had, you know, Nosler and Cryptech and, and Vortex be behind you the whole way and your, your background in, um, oh man, uh, I want to say, crap, you said marketing and public, public relations. relations. There we go. Uh, mm -hmm. Public relations. How, I guess, how do you feel like you were able to separate yourself from the pack and also asking a little bit selfishly for me, what are things that you feel people should know if they want to get into, I guess, building rapport and maybe bringing on sponsors if they want to go a route like you've been through? Um, I feel, I feel like if, if people are asking, how do I get into the hunting industry at this stage of the game um, and to where it's lucrative, right? They're doing it for a living. I feel like number one, they have to have the know-how they have to have something to offer people. Maybe they, you know, whether they're very skilled at shooting or they've had some previous successes, you know, over the last few years, you've got to have something when you approach companies, you can't just be, this is going to be terrible, but I'm just going to call it like <laughs> it is. You can't just be some pretty chick and be like, Hey, you know, I want to get into the hunting industry. Most companies are going to ask you, well, what's your resume? Like, what have you done? What have you, what can you teach people? What can you show? What can you do this? What can you do that? You know, um, I feel like if you want to get into the hunting industry, there's so many amazing possibilities out there, but you've got to have um, know-how. I feel like you've got to have something unique because let's face it, a lot of men, men and women would love to be in the hunting industry, right? Yeah. That's their passion. They love to hunt or fish or how do I, it's kind of like saying, how do I become a pro angler? I love to fish. Well, you and <laughs> 5 million other people, yeah, you know, it's a I mean? lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have something that is whether maybe sometimes it could be just that you've got a great personality, like you're funny. Maybe you're like, you know, maybe you're like a uh, Mike Rowe who can turn, I don't care what Mike Rowe is doing. It's funny, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. He, he can be sexting baby chicks and it's hilarious. Like it doesn't matter what he's doing. It's just funny. like that, that is character footage. And once in a while you find someone like that, like Michael Waddell, like, yeah, he's a talented hunter, right? He's mm -hmm. so freaking funny. He's just funny. He, he can make anything entertaining. I've seen him give so many speeches from small crowds to big crowds, to podcasts, to whatever. And he's just funny. He's very, he's just got it. He's got that talented, uh, je ne sais quoi, je ne sais quoi, for example. And you've either got to have that, or you need to have the knowledge, I feel like, um, or you just have to work. You got to be willing to work hard and give, give stuff away for free for a while. I did in the beginning, like, for example, when I started working with the conservation groups, like I work with them. They are monetary partners of mine now after 12 years, but in the beginning I produced 60 second commercials for them for free to yeah. put in my show within the content of my show, because their message is such a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. Like I, I believe in the, in the groups that I work with and, um, want to get that message out there. Um, 
if you want to, let's say, be in social media, let's say you're not even wanting to get into the TV world, but you want a social media, how do I get paid sponsors on social media? Well, you've got to show them what your brand is all about. You need to stay real to yourself too, because I have said this a million times before, but I so believe it. Everybody has an energy about themselves. Have you ever been in a crowd and you meet someone right away and you're like, oh my God, I love them. I feel mm-hmm. like I've known them forever. Yep. And on the flip side of that, you've met someone, you're like, what an a-hole, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, for lack of a better word, but it's an energy about people, right? And like energies attract like energies. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, um, you have, I feel like you've got to be able to work really hard, but you've got to stay authentic. If you don't stay authentic, if you start to like realizing shifts and trends in social media, and you need to go that route because you need more likes and you don't stay true to yourself, people are going to pick up on that right away, right away. And, uh, but so I think it's just, you got to have something that you can approach companies with that's going to help promote them, whether it's a know-how or a big social media following, or you've got, you know, other connections to some companies that you can cross promote with, or you have a great personality. Um, And you also have to, I think, stay real and stay authentic. And you might for the first few years have to, you know, do some stuff pro bono, but if you love it, you know, don't quit your day job is, (laughs) (laughs) is a saying that's pretty real in the hunting and fishing industry. If you got a day job and love stuff on the side, there's no reason that you can't work on it in your free time, slowly build that up to where maybe you could do it for a living. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I have a question that that might actually be a little bit tough to answer, but did you ever get challenged, like have your authenticity challenged in a way that people that were trying to onboard you to their brand ask you to do something that might not have been unique to who you were that you were ha- that you had to go back and be like hey no this is more of my style I can't do it this way I have dropped a couple of partners okay. and meaning drop that's kind of a strong word I have not even initiated a new contract with a couple partners over the last decade mm-hmm. that I didn't feel like aligned with who I am okay um I'm not going to point them out or throw no, them under the yeah. bus but there's just certain partners that I feel like whether they were in growing stages of their company or whether they were at the top and felt like elitist mm-hmm. and they had that energy. One of them was definitely that, that f- I felt like they were just, um, super elitist. And I, I just, and, and every time, like I had to call them or I got a call from them, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach, like, yeah, I don't really want to, right. I don't want to answer this. Yeah. Right. And then, then after a while, start to pay attention to that. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to work with people that I don't absolutely love their products and who they are as people. And I have, uh, I'm really proud to say that every single one of my partners are just incredible people who have like great morals, awesome ethics. And, um, I, I use their products plain and simple. I don't work with anybody that, um, they pay me a paycheck just to post some crap on social media. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's important to, to take note of mentally, right. Is that mm-hmm. it's not worth just jumping into bed with anybody unless you believe. And, and I think that the important takeaway, right. Is it's okay to say no. Yes, exactly. I mean, it all de- and I try never to judge people. It depends on what's your financial situation or like, you know, I get it, but I have been very fortunate enough to get into this 
older, when I'm older, like, like I said, I'm 50. So I've been it since I was like 38, 39 in the hunting industry. That's already like 20 years older than most people. (laughs) Right. And so I already had all these years of like, of outside sales and Edward Jones that I had a nice little nest egg and don't, I never have ever had to get in bed with a partner that I didn't want to, that I didn't feel was a great fit, that I didn't love their product, that I didn't um, use their product already. There's a couple of partner uh, partners that I've had that I've already been used. Like, Oh, here's a great example. I've never really been partnered with a knife company this whole, this whole time. I worked a little bit with a different knife company that asked me to be on their pro staff. It wasn't a paid position. There were a couple of special forces guys, friends of mine that worked with them who were trying to grow a a pro staff. And I'm like, Oh yeah, absolutely. But I also like have so many friends who are knife makers who would send me their knives and I wanted to post them and use them. And so (laughs) I've just never felt really comfortable you know, like I never chased, I should say a knife company and out of the blue two years ago, Havilon approached me and it was really nice because I've been using their skinning blades this entire time. Like, you know, I'll take someone's handmade knife into the field once just to like say I've got, but then like, Oh, you can't even see them behind me is my wall (laughs) of homemade knives right on this bench behind my couch. And I love them and they're pieces of art. And like, I almost don't use them because I yeah. like displaying them all. And then I've got my Havilon Skinner in my backpack, right? So <laughs> when they approached me, it was really exciting to work with them because I'm like, I already know, I already know your brand. I know your knives. I've been using them forever. You know, they're, they're awesome. They're inexpensive. It's a, it's an easy sell. Plus now they come, they've come out with a bunch of other new things in the last couple of years. But that to me was an authentic fit. I already use you all the time. I, you know, yeah, I think it's important that if you're not having to worry about the money side of things to align yourself with people who you really connect with, that you know their product well, or you really are interested in their product and you're going to use it. And I think that, I mean, let's face it, you can tell when it's even some of these other big, big names in the hunting industry and they're like, use XYZ because Mm -hmm. it's so great. You can kind of feel when it's like, you know, like in the break. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where it's it's all about the money. And I would recommend to partnering with people that are of like mind and energy and like that you can, you know, have a really good relationship with. Yeah. I love that. Did you go through any exercises to try and understand like what your brand was, what you value, and then kind of trying to pair that up with other companies or individuals? Not necessarily. I feel like um, I've just one thing my friends always say is that I I'm, I'm so down to earth and authentic. And I'll take that as a huge compliment. Cause if they said the opposite, I'd be mortified, right? <laughs> the worst, the worst thing anyone could say about me to me to hurt my feelings would be that, Oh, she thinks she's all that. Like that's mortifying. <laughs> to me. Like yeah. that is so not who I am or, or what I think or what I feel. I feel like I'm just like everybody else. Like I, I, I've been really blessed in this hunting industry, but I'm just a person who loves to hunt. Like that's it. Um, I don't feel like I ever tried to make a brand. I feel like, and maybe I should have, you know, and PR 101 is really diving into that. I just feel like I've always tried to keep it real, keep it authentic. And that is my brand. I I feel like I am relatable to people Mm -hmm. because I am, it's me running all my social media. It's, it's, it's always been just me. I don't let someone else speak for me. Um, I'm just someone who loves the outdoors like everybody else. Um, 
if there, I try to get back to everybody who sends me a message or asks me a question. Sometimes it's really hard, especially like I was in Alaska two weeks ago for eight days, no service. You come back like you have 238 emails, like, <laughs> you know, or, or all the text messages. It can be hard to get to them sometimes, but um, I don't feel like my brand has evolved into anything except, um, you know, passionate about conservation, passionate about veterans and just loving the outdoors. It's, okay. and, and it wasn't necessarily intentional. It just, it just evolved that way. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, is there anything that you've learned throughout the whole process as far as, you know, either bringing in female hunters or new hunters that you think is incredibly important for people to know, um, you know, maybe to get past that initial hunt to get into the, the hunting, fishing, outdoor world that, that you think is important to share? Um, I just think it's important for people to understand that um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, don't be afraid to come at anything in hunting, whether you're new to shooting a bow, whether you've never shot a shotgun before, whether you're, you know, you have no idea, like what pair of boots do I buy if I'm going hunting in a new area? Like yeah. I get, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's not, there is no such thing as a stupid question. I mean, literally, like I've had people say, I'm not a hunter, but I don't understand like why, why, what are, how did you get those antlers? Like, and they don't understand those are sheds. They fall off every year, deer, elk, you know, even antelope sheath, sheaths mm -hmm. fall off. Like I've had people ask me questions and I love those questions. I love it when someone is so brand new or so city, you know, well, let's say they, yeah. you know, were raised in an inner city. Oh, you want to hear something cool. So get this. This was a cool moment last weekend. I was literally sitting on a tailgate with only a couple other people around next to Bo Jackson. So I'm not even <laughs> an athlete freak. So the funniest part is I can't, I can't even name you five pro athletes right You're now. Right. I've never really been into, even though like You're I was, in sport, yeah. Oh, like I've never, I love, I've been to tons of brewer games when I lived in Wisconsin, I've been to a couple of Packer games and like, but I've never been into sports. I always joked about loving the sound of a Packer game on, on a Sunday afternoon in the fall when I'm taking a nap before heading to my tree stand. Like that's, that's about as into football as I've ever been or, or baseball. Um, but when I was in high school, I had the biggest crush on Bo Jackson. Everybody did. Like, I mean, it was, he was the greatest of all time, right? The GOAT, the NFL, NBA, um, Major League Baseball. He was just, you know, the guy. Yeah. And like, Everybody loved Bo. And so it was really <laughs> fun. It was super fun. I was invited to this uh, bonfire get together last weekend in Utah. And it was really to benefit a veteran organization called the Best Defense Foundation. If okay. anyone is listening to this podcast, I just found out about this organization last, last week. And I'm not kidding when I say I bawled. 10 different times last Saturday, last Friday night because it was so touch. It was it Thursday night. It was so touching. This is an order. The best defense foundation is an organization that takes veterans, primarily world war II veterans right now back to their battlefields in the Netherlands, Belgium, France to stand on, you know, the beaches at Iwo Jima or wherever they fought 
and just to heal and to connect to their brothers again. And oh my gosh, it is such an incredible veteran organization. But long story short, Bo Jackson was there as well as Jim McMahon and Donnie Edwards, who actually founded Best Defense Foundation of some NFL players. But I got to sit on a tailgate with Bo Jackson and just about hunting was so cool so i was there in the afternoon before the crowd got there and he was supposed to be shooting bows but he was kind of tired because he went fishing in the morning and ended up sitting on the tailgate of a truck with him and i asked him like what got you because he's a huge hunter if people don't know this bo jackson is a huge bow hunter but he's loves his guns he loves this country he's a huge patriot he's just it's so nice when someone you kind of always respected, but you, you know, no Just one takes ever really, it to the next level. Yeah. yeah. And you never really know a celebrity. Let's face yeah. it. You don't mm-hmm. know. Him. You, you might think, you know, him. you don't know. Him. Right. What an amazing man. He was so humble and so great. He told stories of how he walked to first grade with no shoes on in the hood of Chicago because he didn't <laughs> have shoes. Like yeah. he told those stories, but he I said, what got you into hunting? And he just kind of went off on this story about his granddad and how his granddad um, said, I must've been five or six years old. He said, we're going coon hunting. He said, we got our one dog out and the flag gave me a flashlight to hold. He tied a rope around my waist and he held the other end. And I'm thinking maybe so he didn't get lost in the dark. I know it was <laughs> but he said, basically, he said he got to the tree and the dog's barking. And he said to his grandpa or pa, why is he barking? And his grandpa said, and he shined the flashlight up into the tree. And that night they got a raccoon and a possum <laughs> and what it meant to him. And it was so cool. So cool to sit on the tailgate and listen to his beginning of his hunting stories. And I, you know, I posted some pictures and a lot of people commented of like, oh my gosh, what's he like in real life? I, he's the goat. And I, like, it's amazing to post a picture of a celebrity and not have one negative comment. Like yeah. that's pretty rare, right? Because let's face it, all celebrities usually have a dirty past or something like, or something like, yeah, yeah, some, but not one negative, just nothing, but like, what's he really like? Oh my gosh, he's my favorite. You know, I've collected every card of his or, and it was just so nice to have that moment in time. Not, not just because he's Bo Jackson, right? The greatest of all time, you know, athlete in a lot of people's eyes, but just because he was so humble and there wasn't an energy of, of, ego about him at all there was no air of like i'm all that he was his son was there nick who's gosh he looked young i mean probably in his 20s who's getting into bow hunting and i talked a little bit with him and um it was just so cool but it's really it's really neat no one you know we're all just human beings right we're all just on this planet in our short little lives and whether you're a celeb or you're just someone brand new starting out into hunting like it's a passion that connect all of us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you noticed that other um, like seasoned hunters are, are just as receptive to answering kind of those newbie fresh questions? Um, I've heard both sides. Yeah. I, but I also understand like, and I'm not comparing myself to the elite right in the mm-hmm. hunting industry. I'm truly not, I'm not trying not to say that I'm, I'm up there but I get what it's like to be at shows and to be pulled in a million different directions. And I have heard from some people who are like, Oh, so you're so nice. So-and-so was a total jerk. I met him at a show years back. And there's a part of me that wants to say, 
what was the scenario? You know, were they exhausted? Were they on the floor all day long? Were they already talking to hundreds of people? Who knows what they had on their mind? Maybe they were thinking about a seminar they had to get, you know, I'm not, I'm just saying like your question of, have I heard of other celebs being as approachable? I think for the most part, they totally are. And if yeah. they're not, maybe they were caught in a situation. Hey, we all have bad days, you know, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they got in a fight with their spouse. Maybe they, that's fair. And I guess maybe I should have framed it a little differently is okay. do you feel that the the hunting community in general, if you're coming into it, is is as receptive to those fresh eyes? I do. People? That's what I was that's what I meant to get at. Yeah, I really do. Like I really feel like from Brenda Valentine, who in my book, as far as women go, mm-hmm. he's the pinnacle. Like from Brenda Valentine down to all the women I've ever met. I've only, I've literally only met one that I thought was non-approachable and I'm not going to throw her under the bus, but every other woman to me, I feel like I watch them. I loved, I love psychology. I love human interaction. I love to sit back and how, watch how people are. Are they real? Are they, you know, are they the same person behind closed doors as they are, you know, on TV or whatever? And I would say, yes, I would say the majority of people in this industry are super approachable um, you know, I think one of my favorites, Melissa Bachman, she is just an ultimate badass. Melissa has really grown in this industry. She has a, an awesome show on Sportsman's Channel. She is, she's just an incredible hunter, first of all, bow hunter, gun hunter, everything. And then she's also been behind the camera. A lot of people don't know. She started out filming some of the greats and, um, you know, working her way up. She has a degree in, I think, broadcast journalism. And, you know, she knows how to edit and shoot and all this. My God, I just went to Alaska where I had to film the episode. I was so panicked. The whole time I'm like, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be horrible. I barely know, like, how to turn on my ND filter. Like, I am, I'm not, I don't like technology. I don't even like cameras. I barely know how to use my cell phone. Like, that's just me. And I don't want to act like I'm anything other than that. Um, but like Melissa, I ran it. One of the guys that was in the bear camp that I was in in Alaska loves Melissa's show. And he said, she did this one mule deer hunt one time. And I think I'd love to hunt there because I'm 70, I'm getting older. And do you think she'd ever help me out with that? And I'm like, absolutely. I shot her a text and she shoots this huge, long email over <laughs> to the guy about try this place or if they are full, try this place. And she gave him all these, de- like, she's just so down to earth. And really knowledgeable and like, and I love her and I respect her huge. Um, there's, a, there's just a lot of, uh, yeah, I think most people in general, sorry, I'm getting wordy, but most, no, most people in this industry in general are there to help and to inspire and to, you know, um, are really approachable. Good. Yeah, I've had that same experience where it's very easy to reach out and be like, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, it is hard to it is hard to be to admit that though. I, I yeah. will coming from sometimes sometimes I'm a little thick headed, so it's like, hey, I really I know that I need to ask, but man, it's it's hard to it's hard to yeah admit, admit a lack of knowledge. No, but that's a good point. You shouldn't you shouldn't feel that way because, I mean, I. I still feel like I'm a newbie at things and I've been doing this for three decades. Like really like, um, you know, I still, I still make mistakes. I still get uberly excited. I feel like there's two types of hunters. I feel like there's the kind of hunter who like, okay, we found that beautiful buck or bull and we're working in and I'm, 
I feel like there's the kind of hunter that gets totally calm. They get zoned in, they channel their inner caveman. They know their family needs to eat <laughs> and they just get all calm and collected and let that arrow fly. And it's perfect. And then there's the other kind like me who like, af- I get more nervous as the years go on. Like I get so freaking excited. And like, I shot, <laughs> I shot this bear in Alaska last week or the week before, like literally 20 minutes after sitting into the stand. And I, it was my, I wasn't even hunting. John was the one who was supposed to be hunting. He had a grizzly bear tag. I had a black bear tag. We're up in the trees. It's a baited hunt in Alaska. We're in the Yukon flats refuge of Alaska, which is Basically, you're dropped off by a float plane in the middle of nowhere. And like I'm filming and we're hanging, we're in these hang on tree stands and I've got the camera tripod and I'm a fresh, I feel like I'm always a fish out of water when I'm behind the camera and I'm trying to zoom in and I hear a stick break and I look behind me and it's this monster black bear and and I'm like, <laughs> and so we, I had to hand him the camera and the tripod, dig out my pistol. Cause it's in my backpack. I'm not ready at all. And like, I end up shooting this bear and I'm so excited. I'm freaking out. And like, like literally freak out. You'd think it was my first bear. And like I said, I think it was my 14th or 15th. Like that's the kind of hunter I am. I just get freaked every time. and so freaking excited. Um, but yeah, I, I, even, even the seasoned veteran hunter will, be able to relate to someone being fresh out of water. And yeah. there's, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you feel like we should talk? It's been almost an hour and a half and I don't want to take up your whole. What's <laughs> Are you Wednesday? saying I'm wordy? Are you saying? No, I no, no. I just don't. I want to be respectful of your time. So I don't know if there's anything that you feel um, that we didn't cover that you're like, man, I really, I don't get asked this and I really want to talk about it. So. Um, no, I've never seen Sasquatch. And yes, I believe in aliens. Other than that, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what's your least favorite hunt? You get asked what your favorite hunt oh, is. Oh, I like that. My least favorite. Um, I, I don't, okay. This isn't my least favorite hunt, but like the least, the thing I'd hunt the least is probably waterfall hunting. I have been mm. waterfall hunting. Um, it's not that I don't like it cause it's super fun. Um, but I just don't do it that often. Um, you know, the start of it is still kind of in some of the big game hunting. It kind of overlaps here in Montana anyway. Um, it's just not my favorite. I'm sure all these, any waterfall are listening to it. It's going to be like, you're crazy, but, um, my least favorite, but it's still fun. Don't get me wrong. If I'm not doing anything and I don't have any tags left in my pocket. (laughs) It's the least desirable. Yeah. I would totally go on a duck hunt. Yeah. Duck, goose, whatever. Um, that's funny that you asked that. That's a funny question, but it's still, I still love it. You know, a good, bad day of hunting is better than a good day in the office. You know, that's fair. That's fair. I can dig that. (laughs) I'm excited. I, uh, I've got, I think our draws come out next week. Uh-huh. I've got two, two that I'm hoping for. And then I was out scouting last week and I'm really excited because I, I think I was telling myself that I was, I, cause I had planned this route and I was super excited. I'd done all like my math and on X and everything. And then uh, I went out right. And I was like, I am not able to do this. Like, this is, this is pretty harsh. Like I don't have the right boots. Like, I don't know if I can do it, but now I've talked to a couple people since then. I'm like, maybe I just need to push myself. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I just need to make it suck because like, you know, 45 minutes from the house is, you know, there's the, the foothills and, you know, uh-huh. there's, there's, there's deer out there, but there's also a ton of people that go. Cause it's uh, yeah. the most probably over hunted unit. So 
Well, and the the more you push yourself to get back in there, the less people there are going to be. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, true. there's a lot of road hunters out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Once you get off the, the road and the, the beaten path and you get on to into the back country, there's going to be less and less people back there. So um, the right gear is going to really help you getting those right boots. Um, a good layering system of camouflage is really going to help. And, you know, let's face it, they're all good. I love Cryptech. I've worn it forever. Um, there's a lot of other really good brands out there that make really good layering systems to wear. And let's face it, it's not uncommon in the fall to be on a hunt. You start out with below thirties in the Mm -hmm. morning and you can often get to the eighties during the day. It's insane to have a 50 degree swing, but that can happen. And you just have to have the right gear to make it comfortable. And the more comfortable you are, the longer you're going to go, the more you're going to push it. Um, there are a lot of facets to the hunt, but you know, I feel like every time I'm on a new hunt, either in a new area or a new species, I feel like the fish out of water. So just remember that when you're asking people for their opinions, they probably, depending on what you're asking, they might not know where they, they're totally going to relate to the questions because I just think it's impossible to know it all. Like it really yeah. is. I feel like I, I'm friends with people who've been hunting 40, 50 years and there's still the technology changes all the time, whether it's technology like Onyx Maps to help you discover public land or technology in the boot designs, clothing designs, weaponry, whatever. Yeah. Like it's all ever changing there. And literally there is no such thing as a dumb question. I, I would love at some point to sit down maybe again and do like a whole conversation on just a gear setup and thinking about it, how you put together for a hunt, because that's, I feel like that's, it's so specific to the type of hunt that you're doing, which mm-hmm. like I didn't realize until recently, particularly like it's kind of weird because I never would have thought as much about boots as I have in the past couple like days. Yeah. Because like I'm like, hey, you know, I've got my Solomons they come over my ankle. They're really comfy. But then as you start humping through like some really thick buck brush or like I was listening to I've got another interview tomorrow and the guy went to Hawaii and she was talking about like lava rock and it's like Uh well that's an entirely different boot that you're gonna have to get and you know you've got to look at the stiffness and the sole and all these other things and it's like okay you know it's all common sense stuff that makes like it makes sense when you hear it but then Mm -hmm. until you actually start getting out and like experiencing it you're like oh my gosh (laughs) yeah this this makes sense this is why these boots are five hundred dollars because yeah yeah but don't get overwhelmed either because i think a lot of people can often turn a situation into something that oh you know i don't know about you but when i my brain when I hear somebody talking about something and then you're like, it branches into 10 other things. Sometimes it's so overwhelming. Yes. Don't, give up. Yep. don't let that happen. Don't, don't give up just because someone starts talking to you about like arrow setup, like for example, with archery, like, Oh, I'm never going to be able to remember all that. There's so much to it. There's, you know, spine stiffness and weight forward arrows and grainage and all this stuff. Like, I think sometimes it can, even like you said, boots can get overly complicated. Yeah. Um, I literally wear two pairs of boots for mm-hmm. everything. And I'm not even partnered with them. Um, I was forever before, but when I made the switch over, I've never even contacted them. I, I'm a one-man band. I don't have a lot of time. Um, but literally, I've, I've worn <laughs> Kenetrex my whole life, my whole uh since I've, I've been in the hunting great industry. things about Kenetrix. Oh, they're great boots, but there's, and, and again, there's tons of great boot companies out there. You got to know what fits you, your feet really well. I literally have 
actually I'm lying. I have three pairs of Kenetrix. I have the zero gram insulate, the 400s and the thousand. Those three, it's the same boot. They just have different insulate in them work well in any situation I have ever been in. Um, and yeah, you can't just remember this in any topic when it comes to hunting and gear, you can also make it overly complicated when it doesn't have to be. So don't go down that rabbit hole and get frustrated. I did that when I bought my bow actually, Um, because I, so like, I know how to reload for a rifle. I know how to do all the math behind it. I know how to zero. I know how to check my dope and calculate. I've got, I've got all of that stuff. Okay. Some of it figured out, right. There's a lot more to it that I don't understand. But when I was buying my bow, I was like, you're telling me I have to tune this thing. Why can't I just shoot out of the box? You know, like I don't understand a lot of these things. And I was terrified that I was going to have to tune all of it at home when I bought it. And uh, when I went to Cabela's, because I had just a bunch of Cabela's points and uh, that's where I got mine. And I was like, so do I have to do this all at home? And the kid was like, no, I've got you. I'll do it all here. And I was like, oh my God. Uh Like he helped me get it all tuned up, got it tuned up, got the right arrows picked, got the draw length, draw weight everything all dialed in. So that way, when I got home, I was, you know, it was only like 10 yards, but I mean, I was still able to start dorking with it and zero it out from there. So, and a lot of those bow shops will be like that. My, my buddy, Paul Roush runs the bow shop at sportsman's warehouse in Missoula and he's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And, you know, don't wait to the last, my recommendation, like right now is a great time. If you're thinking of getting into archery, when I say right now, I'm talking June, July, don't wait till late August or September, because they're not going to have the time to spend with you. You know, they're not going to have the time to help you sight in your site right there. You know, at least your 10 yard pin at the shop. But uh, most of those shops are really gracious, especially during downtime. Go get a bow in the winter months. And then you can spend time with that shop and they can help you in all the stages of getting it all tuned up. Well, that, and it's like, not even just getting it set up, but the the mechanics behind actually shooting like yeah. I didn't know I had those muscles in my back you know for a little while because then you have to learn you know what's good your natural point of aim how do you call for wind when you because calling wind in a bow is much different than an arrow yeah and and then being stable while holding a bow when it's blowing a little bit oh my gosh yep. like I didn't even realize it's like you know a bow's what three or four pounds at most I don't even I don't even know I'd have to go look but it's like you're sitting there and you're like wobbling all over the place i yeah it's weird i'm actually going to the 3d range on monday to, to oh, nice. practicing because you know it's coming fast so. yeah 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 but uh, again just uh you know find the right people to surround yourself with because i would say most people out there are more more than willing to help somebody who's new into the passion yeah for sure yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jenna. I appreciate your time. This is a lot of fun. I hope that it was a little bit different than some of the ones you've done so far. It was. It was so different. Super fun chatting with you. Uh, We'll have to do it again after my sheep hunt and see how that goes. Deal. Well, good luck and uh, we'll stay in touch. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Jana Waller. She is an awesome person, someone I feel like I could learn a whole heck of a lot from. Uh, Linked in the episode description is her Instagram and also links to Carbon TV, so you can check out and see see what she's up to. Uh, Beyond that, though, you all have a great day, and we'll catch you next time.